you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Good morning, church. How are you doing today? As Van mentioned, we're in week two of our series on Game Changer. How many of you know what a Game Changer is? A Game Changer is a newly introduced factor to an existing situation that changes it in a significant way. A newly introduced factor changing an existing situation in a significant way. What are some of the game changers in history? One of the first that I can think of is the invention of the wheel. Prior to the wheel, everybody had to walk or ride a horse or ride a camel. Everything that you had to carry had to be carried by a person or by an animal. But with the invention of the wheel, loads could be, heavy loads could be carried with a lot less energy. It was a game changer in history. Another game changer was the telephone. Alexander Graham Bell invented that amazing instrument. Prior to the telephone, if you wanted to talk to anybody face-to-face, if you wanted to talk to them directly, you had to go there in person. Today, you can talk to somebody around the world in real time. Another great game changer was the invention of the car. You know, the, the time that it takes you, the distance that you could travel in an entire day has now been reduced to 20 or 30 minutes, assuming there's no traffic. The airplane. It took thousands of years for us to be able to figure out how God enabled birds to fly. But that has been an amazing game changer. The internet was a game changer. One day, somebody created a device that had a music player, and it had a computer, and it had a telephone all in one device and called it the iPhone. (laughs) And amazing. You know, what's next? You know, and that's just technology. Changing technology is one thing, but changing people is a whole nother realm. The Holy Spirit is the game changer for everyone who receives him. As we're changed, he invites us to be game changers with him. As we look at the qualities of a game changer, I want you to notice how these qualities do not have an age limit. Every person, even a young person, can be a game changer with God. Amen? The Bible is full of examples. We looked at uh, David. We mentioned Daniel. There was Joseph. Last week, we took a closer look at the life of Isaiah. And this week, we'll take a look at the life of Timothy. If you would, please open your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Timothy was a teenager when he first met the Apostle Paul in his hometown of Lystra, which is present-day Turkey. Paul was a game-changer. Timothy may have been present when God used Paul to heal somebody in his hometown. That would have been a game-change right there. He may have been there, or at least heard about it, when Paul was stoned and left for dead, and then came back to the very same town, another game-changer. Timothy later joined Paul in his travels to plant churches, and at one point they were in the city of Ephesus, which is also modern-day Turkey, 
And Paul urged Timothy to stay back to oversee the church. Now, Paul knew that Timothy would face challenges because he was young. And so he gave Timothy some advice. We find this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all believers in what you say. In the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Now, when Paul says, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, he's not talking about having arrogance and pride. He's not talking about having a competitive spirit to prove that somebody is wrong. When Paul says, don't let anyone think less of you, he's saying, in order to be a game changer, be trustworthy, earn respect by showing maturity and demonstrating character. You know, when my, when my youngest daughter, Nicole, came home from her first year of college, um, she, she had changed. You know how it is when you're with somebody every day, you don't see the differences when they're growing, but you haven't seen a relative or a cousin for a year or more, and when they come back, they're like, whoa, you've grown. So it was one of those experiences for me. Her vocabulary had changed, um, her thinking had changed, she had matured, her stature had changed, she had learned so much in school, she was sharing with me new things that I didn't know. I was just so impressed, I was so proud of her in a good way. And then a strange thing happened. You have to understand that she's the youngest in our family. And within two days, she went back to her baby voice. <laughs> I said, Nicole, I mean, has that ever happened to you? You ever go back home and you fall into those old patterns, those old feelings, those ways of behaving? What is it with that? Within two days, she went back. I said, Nicole, don't go back to your role as the youngest in the family. I said, you have the freedom to live up to what you have attained. If someone thinks less of you because you're young, don't fall for the temptation. Don't lose your confidence, but rather be a game changer to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Sin and Satan want to pull you down. They want to make you feel worthless or make you overcompensate by being proud. The temptation is to have a low self-image or to puff yourself up with positive thinking. If someone looks down on you, the temptation is either to believe it or to be offended. Paul says, don't do either one. Don't take the bait. Don't fall into the temptation of reacting. Instead, keep your attention on God and respond in a way that honors him. Rise above what, what others think. Paul says, be an example. Be a game changer to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. In other words, when someone looks down on you, don't get derailed. Keep your eyes on the ball. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Many people are deeply affected by what others think. And Paul is saying, don't let them define you. Don't let them define you. Focus on God. Focus on what God says about who you are. Hold on to the confidence, not because you're smart or because you're strong, but realizing that he who started a good work in you, will bring it all to completion. Amen? 
the Apostle Paul gave Timothy concrete advice about what to do. And we're going to look at each one. But when we talk about what you should do, I'm afraid that you'll walk out of here today feeling like you have another list of things to do. And that is usually not very helpful. And so let's take another approach. Before we talk about what to do, we need to talk about who you are. Because who you are will determine what you do. For example, fish swim because they're fish. And birds fly because they're birds. And sinners sin because they're... A fish is not a fish because it can swim. I can swim. But rather, it swims because it is a fish. You see, nature determines action. We can go to the next slide. Nature determines action. In other words, internal identity determines external behavior. We can go back to the previous one. I think we skipped a slide. Back one more. Okay, there we go. Internal identity determines external behavior. The Bible is clear. The sinful nature results in certain behavior. You can make a list. The sinful nature results in certain behavior. But the Holy Spirit produces a different result. So because nature determines action, God tells us who we are. And we find it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, which says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare, we did that this morning, the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. This is your real identity. This is what God thinks about you. When an airport official or a policeman asks you for ID, we usually show them a driver's license or some other form of photo ID. And there are three kinds of IDs. But only one of them is valid for you as a Christian. One type are expired IDs. And these are Christians who still identify with their old sinful nature rather than their new life in Christ. But the old nature is over. It's done if you've asked Christ into your life. And so we should destroy all expired IDs. Then there are fake IDs. These are Christians who act and talk like disciples on Sunday, but sinners on Monday. Then there are re- there's the real ID. You're chosen, you're royal, and you're holy. This is the foundation of your identity in Christ. We need to remove all expired IDs, all fake IDs, and embrace our new identity in Christ. God says you are chosen, you're royal, and you're holy. That's who you are. That's who you became when Christ entered your life. Now, you might say, Pastor Mark, okay, I get it. Okay, we were chosen. I I, I got that. And God's our Father, and He's the King, so I understand we're royal. I'm good up to that point. But if I'm to be honest, I don't feel very holy. I don't. You have to understand, this is not about your performance. 
It's not about your performance. It's about a free gift that comes with the Holy Spirit. He gives us his righteousness as a free gift. It's free. This is what Paul meant when he wrote, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. It's yours to experience because God gave it to you. We're going to do something a little different today. We're going to have communion to highlight the reality of this free gift. The gift of being chosen, the gift of being royal, and the gift of being holy. And so what I'd like to do is to ask the ushers at this point if they would go ahead and begin to pass out the elements. And while they're doing that, I want to share a story with you of a lady that my wife and I met about five years ago. Terry and I, as some of you know, have been invited to travel to Asia to help them develop prayer ministry, which is a form of like biblical counseling. And uh, we are also the founders of Elijah House Guam, which is an international ministry. Guam became the 11th Elijah House in the world. There are other countries in Asia that are developing this ministry as well. And we've been asked to help assist them in being able to do that. In fact, Terry and I are going to be in Singapore uh, next month before we go to the World Conference. And uh, you're in good hands. We've lined up some amazing speakers for you. Uh, Pastor Bong is going to be here. Uh, Pastor Ricky Ramirez. Some of you remember Pastor Scott Dalma from Japan. He's going to be here, as well as some of our own homegrown. And so you're going to have a great variety in the month of September. But Terry and I, we've been going back and forth to Asia for the last five years. God just opened doors. It was amazing. And uh, one of the first trips we made was to Singapore. And we were teaching a course there. And the very first day, there was a lady in the audience. She just kept crying the whole day. And the second day, she didn't even come back. And we wondered, you know, did we make a mistake? Did we not screen her to make sure she was ready or prepared for some of the material that we would be covering? But the third day, she made it back and she finished the course. Long story short, we found out this lady suffered from severe depression. It was so severe, it lasted 20 years. It was so bad, she couldn't even work. She stayed home. Her husband, thank God, he gave her a godly husband who didn't leave her but stuck with her. He doubled up and he did what he had to do to make things work and tried to help her get the the help that she needed. It was so bad, she couldn't even take care of her kids. He had to be mom and dad with the kids as well. So she learned some things about inner healing. One of the things is just to recognize some of the wounds and some of the hurts from the past. And to be able to forgive those who didn't meet needs or those who had hurt, those who had wounded. And so she began that process. She began to forgive. And then the next thing is to realize that we've had certain sinful responses to some of those hurts in the past. And she began to recognize those. And she began to confess them. And she began to repent for some of her own responses in this area. Thank you very much. We didn't see her again for years. Years later, Terry and I had a chance to go back to Singapore. We were in a group like this, and somebody came up to Terry and gave her a gift. And Terry was like, who is that? I'm like, I don't know. It happened to be that same lady 
she was so different, we didn't even recognize her. And so we had a chance to go to lunch with her, and she began to tell us her story. And she said, she said God began to heal her heart when she began to recognize some things about, her, about the hurts that were there and about her responses to those hurts. And she began to confess and repent for the way she responded. And she said she got a little better. It seemed like things were lifting and she was feeling better. But then she would go back into her old pattern, her old cycle. And then she would confess again. She would repent again. Then she'd go back to her old cycle. And she'd confess again and repent again and then go back to her old cycle. She said she did that for a long, long time. Then one day, it was just like God spoke to her and helped her see something. There was another step that she needed to take. She needed to realize that when Jesus died on the cross and the Holy Spirit came into her life, he had accomplished everything that she needs to live a new life. But she had not appropriated that. She had not considered that it is true or recognized that she was living in the old thinking of the past. And she said at that moment, she began to claim and to believe and to trust and to declare it as done and true in her life. And she said from there, she went, and she took off and she changed. She said she went back to work. She used to be an elementary school teacher. She couldn't handle the kids when she was depressed. She said, now I actually enjoy teaching the kids. She started enjoying her own kids. I saw a picture of her on Facebook. She was in her 60s. She had a picture of a bicycle. She said, my first bike. She got a bike and began riding in her 60s. When we met her, the countenance on her face was full of joy. She had so much energy. She was seeing us off at the train station, and we're just talking. And you have to understand something about Singapore culture. In the train station, you're surrounded by thousands of people, thousands. And everybody is in their own private bubble. They're just in their little personal space with their cell phone. They got the earphones in their ears and they're just going around. Nobody's interacting with anybody and they're just, they're in their own little internet world with their friends. That's the way it is. So imagine that's the culture and we're standing around thousands of people in the train station and she tells us how she's just come alive and she's got so much energy and joy and motivation to live life. And she goes, I do my exercises every day. And she goes, I go like this. And she starts doing jumping jacks in the middle of the train station. And we're just standing there looking at her and looking around like, man, this is not the same person. All of that to say that the, the game changer for her was to reckon that it was done that it was finished. As we prepare for communion, I want you to remember what were the last words that Jesus said on the cross. He said, it is finished. Do you know what he meant by that? Everything was done for you to experience a major change in the game of life. As we share in communion today, I want you to take a moment to realize that it was done when Jesus died and you received the Holy Spirit. It was done. The great exchange is done, and now you're able to live a new life by faith. Now, you have to continue in that appropriating it by faith every day. It's a moment-by-moment -moment thing. And as you do, God's going to enable you to experience the gift of this new life that he's given you. All you have to do is receive the fullness of it by faith. That's what communion is about. That's what Jesus accomplished when he said, it is finished. And so if you would, 
go ahead and take your communion elements. After supper, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And when he had given thanks, he said, this represents the new covenant in my body. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your amazing gift that you have chosen us, that you have made us royal, and that you have given us the free gift of your righteousness, and you have made us holy. And Father, today we just declare as an act of faith that it's all you, God. You've done it. You said it's finished. We declare that it's done. And Father, we trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And now, Lord, we ask that by our faith and by your Holy Spirit, that you would activate within us and release greater freedom to enter into the fullness of our salvation. God, I pray that you would help us to be able to unpack all the gifts, all the calling, all the identity, all the destiny that you have for us through the finished work of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit. I just want you to stay in a moment of prayer and just let the reality of God's gift sink in. Let the reality of this gift of a new life settle in. Just receive it. Claim it as true. Reckon it as done. Consider it true. Consider it true for you. And just thank God and say, Lord, thank you for such a great gift. I receive it. I receive it. In Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned earlier I was concerned that if we talk about what to do before we talk about who we are, that we'll walk out of here with maybe an additional burden, another list of things to do. But before we talk about what to do, we need to talk about who we are. And Jesus has done this great exchange in each one of you who have received Christ, received the Holy Spirit by faith. And so now, keeping in mind this great gift of having a new life, I want us to return to Paul's instruction to Timothy. Paul says, be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. And let's take a closer look. There's a lot to say about what we say. Here's uh, some common items that we should avoid. Gossip, sarcasm, bitterness, observations with an attitude, crude jokes, humor about ethnic groups, sexual or gender slurs. Do I need to mention profanity? Be an example to all believers in what you say. Be an encourager. 
When in doubt, go positive. You'll never regret taking the high road. And realize that sometimes taking the high road means saying nothing at all. This includes social media. Facebook, Twitter, Viber, WhatsApp are great ways to share your faith and connect with people. But as much as your blog, Instagram, your Twitter stream, uh, your Facebook page, as much as they feel like your cozy home on the internet where friends drop by to catch up and have a cup of coffee, as much as it feels like that, it's really a public space. It's a public space. And so think of your web space not so much like a family room, but more like your front yard. You should always assume that it will be viewed by your boss, your coworkers, your church family, your parents, your children, your spouse, and even the attorney of the guy who doesn't like you. <laughs> Ask yourself, am I comfortable with all of these people reading what I'm about to post? Remember, frustrations with individuals are best expressed in person. Matthew 18, 15 says, if you have an issue with somebody, go and talk to them one-on-one, face-to-face, first. Not second, not third, not the fourth person down the line, the first person. Be an example to all believers in what you say, especially if it's in writing where everybody can read it. Paul goes on to say, be an example to all believers in what you say and in the way you live. When I was 18 years old, I lived in Germany. And uh, as some of you may know my testimony, I was not a believer at the time. I had never gone to church. I was living a very worldly lifestyle. I knew nothing about Christianity except maybe a few stereotypes that I had picked up in the movies or on TV. And so one night, I was at a nightclub. And there was a group of us sitting at a table. And there was this guy sitting across from me, and he said something about religion. I don't even remember what it was that he said. It was so long ago. But I do recall that what he said was with a positive attitude. And so imagine me, this very worldly non-Christian, sitting across the table. And I said to him, Oh, I said, are you one of those Holy Moses people who wears sandals? (laughs) I said that in front of the the whole group around the table. And he turned and he looked at me, and without attitude, he said, have you ever read the Bible? I said, no. He said, you know what? You ought to read the Bible. It's an amazing book. And so I did. I went home because some guy in a nightclub said I should read the Bible. (laughs) And so I started where you start with all books. I started in the beginning. So I read Genesis, and I found it to be very, very good at helping me to fall asleep. (laughs) I did not know at the time that without the Holy Spirit, you cannot perceive the message of God through the Bible. To me, it was dead. It was words. I was like, okay, what am I reading here? You know, until I fell asleep. Two years later, I received Christ. My point is this. Some guy in a nightclub, he, he recommended I read the Bible. He didn't argue with me. He didn't judge me. He didn't get defensive when I made a snide remark in front of his friends. 
he talked to me and he encouraged me to consider God. And he planted a seed that somebody else watered and then God caused the growth. Be an example to all believers in what you say and in the way you live. Two years after I received Christ, I met John and Faye. John and Faye were missionaries at the University of Hawaii. They were this really cool couple. And John was deep, he was real, he had an amazing testimony, and they were sold out for God. And I, I looked at them as a couple, and I looked at their role model, and I thought, you know what? I'd like to be like them someday. Your lifestyle can be a game changer. Be an example to all believers in what you say and in the way that you live. Paul goes on to say, be an example in your love. I've got a couple of questions for you. Do you love people, or do people irritate you? Don't raise your hand. But these questions will tell you where you're at with God. You know, we can drift away. I I did it this week. I had to get back to God. But we can drift away from living by the Spirit of God, and before you know it, we're grumpy, or we're defensive, or we're insecure, or we're judgmental, or you fill in the blank. And usually some kind of conflict or conflict, some kind of conflict or consequence wakes us up and we realize that we're out of sync. And so we come back to God through confession and repentance and independence on his spirit to live in and through us to get us back on track. And when we do, we find that we're more patient and we're more kind. We're less jealous. We're, more, we're, more, we're less boastful. We're not proud. We're not rude. We're not demanding our own way. We're not so irritable. We're not keeping records of wrong. We don't rejoice about injustice, but rejoice whenever the truth wins out because love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, and in your love. Paul goes on to say, be an example in your faith. It's hard to convince someone that they should trust God in the time of crisis if you don't trust him in your personal time of crisis. We were teaching a class this week, and I asked, some of you are sitting here, uh, don't take it personal, (laughs) but I asked the class, I said, uh, who wants to volunteer for a role model? And I could just tell by their response, like, you're asking me to get up there in front and do something? And I was like, come on, guys. God is with you. You have faith. You can do this. (laughs) You know, in the safety of our own environment, you know, with people of like mind and like faith, you know, we need to encourage each other to step up and to trust God to do new things and to step out of our comfort zone. If we can't do that, it's very difficult to encourage other people to live by faith. Be an example of trust in God. Don't give in to fear. Speak of God's strength. Speak of his love. Speak of his understanding and his promise to deliver. Remember when the disciples panicked because they were in the boat and the storm came and they all thought they were going to drown? What did Jesus do? He rebuked them. He scolded them for their little faith. You know, 
Faith and fear, they're opposites. If you're in fear, then you're lacking faith. And if you're in faith, you're not going to be in fear. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, and in your faith. Lastly, be an example in your purity. This is the number one area. And, you know, there's lots of areas about purity that we could touch on. But I want to touch on sexual purity because it's a very significant issue in the world. The number one area where Satan attacks is in the area of sexual purity. And the reason is this. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. This conflict, this battle is cosmic. In the beginning, God said, let us, that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he said, let us make man in our image. And so the Bible says he made them male and female. The significance is this. The only place on planet Earth where you can see the image of God is in the covenant union between a man and a woman. And Satan is doing everything within his power to destroy the image of God on the earth. He knows sexual sin will damage it severely. If you're going to be a game changer, live in purity. There is a universal principle woven into the fabric of reality. It's this. He who has the greatest purity has the greatest influence. He who has the greatest purity has the greatest influence. And if you need an example, look no further than the life of Jesus himself. He who has no sin has the greatest influence. He had no servants, yet they called him master. He had no degree, yet they called him teacher. He had no medicines, yet they called him healer. He had no army, yet kings feared him. He won no military battles, yet he conquered the world. He committed no crime, and yet they crucified him. He was buried in a tomb, and yet he's alive today. The reason that you can be a game changer is because the greatest game changer of all game changers lives on the inside of you. Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example. Be a game changer to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and in your purity. Amen? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that it's not dependent on us. I thank you, Jesus, that you accomplished it all for us, this amazing gift of being chosen, of being holy. I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to strive, but we can simply receive this free gift that you've given us. And so, Father, I, I pray for all of us here today that you would renew our minds and that you would enable us to walk in the truth of what you say about how life really is for us as your children.